0: Hello, this is Dr. Shiva. Welcome to our podcast, Get Educated or Be Enslaved. Episode 177, air date September 18th, 2017. Okay, um, welcome. Great, thank you for having me. How many people are here with the RTC? Most of us. OK, great. very much. Thank you. So, um, you know, I know I want to talk about this free speech thing that you guys were just talking about. You know, it's unfortunate not one Republican was at that free speech event, right? This was about free speech. So after the event, everyone's passing proclamations and these kinds of things, but no one ever gets their hand dirty, hands dirty, and I think you were addressing that. So what I'm talking about is, I don't know if you know, I was one of the keynote speakers at that event. uh, we took our lives into our hands, and so did the Boston police. Marty Washington, Charlie Baker did. They branded it as a Nazi event, and I'm a brown-skinned Indian guy, and I was called a Nazi. And a white supremacist event. So what I want to discuss with you today is basically I had an open discussion about truth and what we really stand for. You know, the founders of this country, one of the uh, founding principles was the First Amendment. Was it not? And the First Amendment was not just about free speech, it was about truthful free speech. So I'd like to put forward a concept called true free speech. Uh, the Constitution and the Supreme Court has ruled and I know this personally that when you say something, everyone of us has a right to say whatever we want and the First Amendment was put in place so you and I, as citizens, could go write stuff against our government. That was the original ethos of it or the philosophy behind it. Starting in the 50s, um, corporations started also getting free speech rights, multi-billion dollar companies, media companies and the interesting thing is a media company could write anything and if you didn't have the wherewithal to fight them they could get away with character assassination <laughs> now I know this personally because I took on Gawker Media when they refuted the facts that I was the in, inventor of email when it went into the Smithsonian, I'll come back to that but free speech is something that I've actually put my life on and fought for and on August 19th you know, two months before that, I was asked to speak at that event by some amazing young kids, 17-year-old, 15-year-old high school students, and some college students who really felt that we needed to have a much more spectrum of conversation in this country, beyond just branding people with white hats or people with a swastika as white supremacists. And that's what's happened. Academic elites have narrowed the discussion of what is a white supremacist, but they don't expose a lot of other white supremacists that take place in academia. For example, no one ever questions why people get on the stage with Jimmy Carter, who said that we need ethically pure neighborhoods. I don't know if you know that. Carter said that. No one ever brings up Hillary Clinton as a white supremacist who called black children super predators, right? So the point I'm saying is that what occurred on August 19th is extremely telling, and there's, Republicans should be ashamed for branding that as a white supremacist event. And after that, Jeff Deal and Marty Lamb want to get their name out there by attacking BLM. These are all polit- politicization of an event so they can get kudos. When they didn't put their butt out on the line, which is what I did and 40 other people did that, and the police put their butt on the line, and we, they were the ones who were thrown urine at by Antifa and others. So what I want to talk to you about is I'm an outsider to all of this, and I figured out the racket over the last 120 days. How people get into this state convention, right? You have to get delegates, and that's why I asked who, who here are part of the delegates because we figured out that there's no way they want us to get on the ballot. It took me about 120 days to figure this out. We've been very naively going to all the RTCs with our bus, giving great talks. We get either standing ovations or people really love what we have to say. But you have three insiders running. And, you know, I'm the outsider. I'm the guy who actually has created jobs. Came here as an immigrant, as a seven-year-old kid with nothing. As a low caste, untouchable from India. And my parents left India because they didn't believe in a caste system. They believed that this country was a country where you get into positions by what you do. Meritocracy, right? Not who you are and not, not you know, who you know, it was about what you did. Isn't that what it was all about? The founders of this country, they weren't career politicians. They were blacksmiths, they were soldiers. Washington was a surveyor. You go down the list, these people actually had skills. And their notion of governance was that you participate and then you exit, you go back to the farm. It wasn't supposed to be a career. Being a senator is not a career. It's an honor that you get to serve this country, and then you're supposed to go back and work. But what we've created now is career politicians. Beth Lindstrom included. Kingston gives a lot of money. Jeff Deal, obviously. So what I want to ask you is, are you guys ready? Is the Republican Party really ready for someone like me? And you need to really ask that. Because I'm the guy who actually knows how to create jobs. I know about education. I've been to MIT. Debbie Nightingale's over there. Debbie was the head of the systems group at MIT. Debbie's known me for 30 years. Creepy's there, he's a student at MIT. Dr. Kishore, I don't know where he is. You know, he's a guy who came up with a solution for the opioid uh, uh, treatment and was attacked and thrown in jail for eight months by Martha Copley because his solution went against methadone clinics and rehab. So we actually have a lot of solutions. But crony capitalists and the politicians don't want solutions out. And you're talking to someone who has a degree in biological engineering, who's created a, a, a right now, biotech company that's worth many billion dollars. I've created multiple software companies. And I I believe I'm the right representative for you, for the people of Massachusetts. (coughs) But the system is set up in our own party, where Charlie Baker hasn't yet to meet with me. Where, you as we understand, he's got other maneuverings going on here. So my parents came here in 1970, we settled in Patterson, New Jersey, one of the poorest cities in this country. I went through the public education system. Went to Clifton, then Persipany, then Livingston. So my parents didn't have school choice in those days. They just kept moving to the better public school systems. So in seven years, we moved to four public school systems. By the time I was 14, I had finished calculus. And that was because as a ninth grader, because the teachers in that time, before the unions took over and disempowered teachers, actually gave me the core curriculum, and I could do something beyond that. So by the time I was 14, I also went to NYU in a special computer science program where 40 students in the United States got selected. This was in 1978. Everyone remember a computer would fit the size of this room. Right? Women in those days essentially had four jobs. They could be a secretary, nurse, School teacher, Was the other one? Librarian. Librarian or housewife, okay? And I was given a full-time job at a medical school. I would go over to Newark, New Jersey in the middle of high school, full-time job, and I was given a challenge. Everyone remember the old inner office mail system where a secretary had an inbox, outbox, folders? Remember that? She'd write a thing called a memo, to, from, subject, carbon copy, put it in those pneumatic tubes, I was asked to convert that entire system to the electronic version as a 14-year-old kid. Only in America could this have occurred. And I called that system email. And two years later I was given the first US copyright for it, officially recognizing as the inventor of email. I share that story with you because since 14 I've been working as a full-time job. I've always been working, even though I went to MIT after that, you know, four degrees, PhD, started seven companies, it's always been working. And you look at these politicians, how many of them have actually worked and actually delivered jobs, know how to fix things, know what software engineering is, know what biotech is, know what it means to hire fire people. I would say probably none of them. So that's one part of my career. But the most important thing is, I'm a fighter. And in order to be a fighter, not only do you need your tools of education. But you need to have an actual history of fighting. It's one thing for me to say it. You know, in 1981, when I came to MIT, you'll actually see pictures. If you go to my website, shivaforsenate.com and go to the About Shiva page, you'll see me. I was a kid who burned the South African flag on the steps of MIT, because MIT had investments in South Africa. Remember, South Africa was apartheid in those days. right? So this was liberal hypocrisy, an institution investing in South African apartheid. I was the one to organize the food service workers and make sure they got better wages. I was the one to make sure more poor whites, poor women got into MIT. These are all, and you can go look at it, it's documented. During my PhD graduation, I was a student who took up assignments at US out of Iraq because I didn't believe it was appropriate for you know, our soldiers to be fighting a war that was essentially making few people wealthy. It was essentially a war, and nothing to do with protecting our freedom. So that's as a young kid. In 2007, after I got my PhD, I went to India on a Fulbright. Everyone know what a Fulbright is? You get to do research. And after I was leaving India, I was uh, nominated by the Prime Minister of India to run the largest innovation center. Huge, prestigious appointment. uh, Highest-level scientist position. Get a huge bungalow in Delhi. I took that position on because I said, hey, let me help India out. And within six months, I figured out the racket. There's massive corruption in this institution. I could have just sat quietly there, treated like royalty. Instead, I wrote a report which exposed the corruption in India. And after death threats, I had to leave India now. And eventually, three years later, I was invited back by the Prime Minister of India, honored as a Serial Entrepreneur of the Year. So I fought India, exposed it, and took took on my life in many ways to do that. Four years ago, everyone know Monsanto? Do you know what they do? They create pesticides, they're the ones who did Agent Orange. Elizabeth Warren, by the way, supported the Monsanto Protection Act, which allows the executive branch to uh, overrule federal judges if the federal judge finds that there's something wrong with uh, any type of crops that actually hurt human life. So if a federal judge imposes an injunction on Monsanto, the executive branch can overrule. It was passed during Obama's administration Warren supported this. There's a lot of people in Western Massachusetts who are into yoga, or organic food, who think they're going to support her. But when they hear that, I was a guy who wrote five research papers, exposed it, and then in fact offered Monsanto my $10 million building in Cambridge, if they could disprove it. It went viral on the internet, you can read about it. 2011, my dear mom was dying of pulmonary fibrosis. It's a horrible disease. You have like three months to live in a beautiful suitcase. She had saved all those artifacts, remember I talked about from in the invention of email. I never made a penny off that. Never wanted fame or fortune from it. And Time Magazine came and looked at all this and they wrote a great article called The Man Who Invented Email. You can read about it. November 2011. Three months after that, the Smithsonian wanted all my materials and went into the Smithsonian. And you would think that should be an occasion for... Essentially, the, it's, it's the epitomization of the American dream. Instead, what happened was, Gawker Media wrote an article calling all sorts of names defaming me. But I didn't sit still. I kept fighting. Last year, we fought Gawker, and we won a major settlement. $750,000, and the three defamatory articles were pulled down. So you're looking at a guy who will fight. And then you have this free speech thing. And, don't, and we're not going to let them get away. We're not going to pass proclamations you're going to see some lawsuits being issued. So do we really want someone who will fight for you? Who's willing to risk his life for you? Or do we just want another politician? Because it's the safe thing to do. It's really up to you. It's really up to you. But I can tell you this, that my parents didn't leave India to create a new caste system in this country, and that's what we're evolving to. We have a set of elites, academic elites, political elites, and media elites, who are determining what is truth, right? What is speech, while they get away with all sorts of fake speech. So what I'm here to ask you for is to really ask yourselves, is the Republican Party really ready to be inclusive and really live up? to what it's original core foundation was and what the founders were about. Or do you guys just want to crank through another state convention, you know, I know all you guys know each other, and just do another thing again. Because Donald Trump's winning, whether you like him or not, was a necessary disruption. It was a necessary disruption that needed to take place. And I'm talking to you as a systems guy. And now it's opened up opportunities for truth or people to make bigger decisions. And that's what I'm here for because I don't need to be doing this. I can't be bought at all. You know, a lot of people running in here are going to get win governor, line their pockets with PAC money. That's what's going on. And we're going to win this election against Warren because if I'm put on a stage with her, there's no chance that she has of winning because it's going to be really clear to people who the real Indian is and who the fake Indian
1: is.
0: (laughs) Any questions? Yeah?
2: Let's talk about a few issues. Mm -hmm. Uh, For example, health care. Do you believe that we should be going towards a Medicare for All or whatever uh, single-payer type system? Uh, there's actually conservatives that are talking about this now uh, as a viable alternative and that we should be the ones framing that as opposed to letting the Democrats frame it. What do you think about that?
0: Yeah, so I, so there's three things, you know, I want to talk about real health, real education, real jobs. Let's talk about health care. So you you used the word healthcare, right? Let's before I answer that, let's really define what healthcare is. We okay. have this no one ever has questioned what is healthcare. What we really have right now, to be precise about it, is not health care. We have two guys, Obama and Romney, it's really Romney Care. What it actually created was a front end for insurance companies to get a captive audience. Obamacare slash Romney Care is basically, supports big insurance. I don't know if you guys really look at this. It has nothing to do with health. What it has done is made each one of us forced to get insurance. And that insurance, if you actually go read it very carefully, how insurance companies operate, insurance companies have created big drug buying deals with big pharma and also big services deals with big hospitals. So we now have actually big insurance, big pharma, and big hospitals all in a triangle of collusion. It has nothing to do with health, what it has to do is a different form of health care called crisis management. The modern healthcare system actually came out of war, came out of the Crimean War, when if you trace uh, the history of Florence Nightingale, she wasn't a nurse, the men have done a great job in reducing her to just being a nurse. Florence Nightingale was actually a a member of the Royal Society of Statistics, she was the first person who did big data, she was the first person who put together the fact that soldiers were not dying because of being shot on the battlefield, but because when they came to the hospital, there was no care. So she's the one who created the whole concept of hygiene. She created, she had this vision, a 200 year vision that if we created hospitals, where people would take care of have clinical research, et cetera. So, the, and, and the goal was to put that soldier back on the battlefield after they've been shot, okay? So what we have now is a form of health care which is about crisis management. It's about after you get a chronic disease, after you get into a catastrophe, then I'm gonna give you knives, which is invasive or drugs. Right, So let's just frame that and no one discusses this and I can because I've been pursuing health and doing research in health believe it or not since I was about seven years old. My grandmother was a traditional medical healer in India, practicing traditional systems of Indian medicine where she could understand what was going on in your body by observing your face using non-invasive methods. That's what led me in my journey to do medical research. So I know this at a very, I don't need consultants to tell me this. So when we want to look at healthcare, we all have to understand that we don't have healthcare we have insurance care that's based on crisis management. So whether we put in, you know, universal medical care or universal health care, what it's really going to fundamentally do is make big insur- or you know big pharma richer and big hospitals wealthier.
1: So what's your answer?
0: The answer is you've got to focus on two aspects here. One is you have to look at prevention. First of all, we need to re we need to have a whole holistic plan to this. We need to go in and we need to recognize that 80 uh, percent of the payoffs that healthcare companies do for chronic disease, many of them which can be prevented, for example, type two diabetes, with proper nutrition, proper diet, proper exercise, which people need to learn at, a, at you know at a much earlier age, much much earlier. You need to have much more broader support for an entrepreneurial insurance model where insurance companies, for example, could exist that can offer a whole array of preventative services and then you can get crisis management as you need, okay? And those crisis management can also be converted to other types of policies, like an insurance policy or an investment model. And this is not new, it's been out there. So that's what we should be incenting, and that's what the policy should incent: Number one, prevention. I don't know if you, do you know how many people practice yoga now in the United States? Anyone know? Yes. 36 million people. Functional foods is going to be a $270 billion industry. Um, Elon Musk's uh, brother, uh, should, he's started a whole organization called eat.org, where the eating food is uh, $4.6 trillion industry, which is nearly the level of our national budget. We, have to, we don't even know how to eat right. 46% obesity in the United States. No one addresses this. All the attention is on Obamacare, Romney care. These things aren't going to solve health, guys. Like, so the Republicans and Democrats come up with issues that have nothing to do with the real issue except creating these two sides, but don't address the core issues. We need to address, and it starts with education. We need to address prevention. Crisis management, you should have a whole array of choice on where you can get that from. And that's how we actually address health care. Let me move on to, if you don't mind. No, go ahead.
2: I, I, yeah, I'm I don't know. A, I'm not. i am not i am not a total believer yet. But go on to
0: your other. Uh, on what? On prevention?
2: Yeah, I mean, you're, because there's got to be a big brother that tells people how to do this stuff. No. Who's going to be the big brother? No, you don't need big brother. You 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 make it much more innovative. You make it much more entrepreneurial. Right now, it is big brother. Well, how are you going? How you to incentivize? How are you going to incentivize? Gonna incentivize I hate that word, but, Sort of that's a good. That's a fail word. Okay. That's a good word. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, entrepreneurs who are looking for a return on their investment to to support this. I understand how you get money into
0: the insurance business. Well. So. So do you agree? There's two parts of healthcare. There's crisis management care and there's preventative care. There's not just if you're defining healthcare as after you get sick, which is what the current model is. Well. I. I.
2: I look at healthcare as a duality as well. It a little different, okay? I believe that you have a, from an insurance point of view, you have things that are truly accidental and fortuitous that make sense to insure, okay? Uh, catastrophic, somebody gets in a car accident, cancer. Some of these things that maybe, yes, in the like law of large numbers, you can predict, but for an individual, you can't. Okay? So that's one aspect of health care. The other aspect of health care is the lower level, the everyday level. That's really non-insurable. is it very inefficient dealing with diet. It's very inefficient dealing with routine uh, annual f- physicals and this kind of stuff because it's just dollar for dollar. It doesn't work as insurance. To me, that's how you would, would approach. Well, let's
0: just take what you just said. If you to, so, so if you take what you just said, right? Yeah. Right now, right? we don't have competition among insurance companies. Right? No. Exactly. Between, so if you made insurance companies. No, no, I don't states. agree with you. <laughs> between, what, between,
3: between states, they took it, the competition. That's out. what I'm saying. It needs to go back.
0: It to needs to go back. You don't. You, you, you
3: no,
2: I'm sorry, work. but that's just nonsense. Well, we, don't, we, have, yeah. we don't have competition between insurance companies no not
0: not between states no that's we true we don't that's what i'm trying to say states. okay that's what you're saying right yes. within a state it's a captive audience right. that you have it's like what what other business has that you know it's like saying there's going to be three companies in a particular biotech field that doesn't happen in any other industry it's a racket well so that's, it's a racket because
2: of the mccarran ferguson act
0: well, yeah. but the reality is, but the reality is, there's many other innovative models for doing insurance, and I can share some of them with you if you want right now or offline. But the reality is, there's two types of health care. You're absolutely right, right? You cannot motivate people to be healthy. The reason I brought up the 36 million people who do yoga right now because people are recognizing that their primary care physician. By the way, we've lost around 150,000 primary care. Care My sister went to Harvard Medical School. She she can't afford to be a doctor. She right. says because of the regulation. Yeah. Right. So everyone joins big hospitals. So when you when you when you look at the reality of where you, you used to get healthcare was you used to see your doctor. He used to observe you, look at you. Now he's on the type, you know, computer typing. This is a ground level reality. So none of these issues are ever addressed in any of these policies, in Romney care or Obamacare. So I'm saying you have to have, you open up the architecture, you allow much more competition, so you can have many different flavors of crisis management care. And I think there's many innovative models which I can talk to you more. But then you have to support, because those insurance companies which engage in supporting prevention, because look, one of my best friends is the chief chief investment officer at the custodian company which supports nearly five of the large insurance companies. So I know the mechanics here. When you pray your... Pay your premium it never goes to the insurance company it goes to a custodian company they pull together all that money and they do investments of that now their cost so they're making x amount of dollars from all those investments the payouts are three things in three buckets you can look at all these separate from operations costs either your you know hospital visits uh, like you said the major catastrophes something accidental but the majority that 80 percent is chronic care So if you had open architecture on an insurance company, and I were able to start an insurance company where I just offered you crisis care, but I give you all these amazing tools for prevention, I bet you I can give you a lower insurance cost because I would prevent many of your preventable diseases in a much more holistic way, and I could basically essentially make more money and deliver you a lower premium. That model, these models are out there, but because we don't allow competition, those models never have gotten a chance to get out there. That's the incentive. Yeah? I'd like,
4: if I could, i for a minute. I, I think the self-care conversation could really get down into yeah. nitty yeah. gritty and, yeah. and continue on, but, but what I'm more interested in, and I, I think great points, you made great points, um, what I'm really interested in is I, I shudder a little bit when I hear somebody talking about you know the federal government controlling things like healthcare, I agree, health care is kind of muddled. I think really what we should be talking about is health insurance. But now you're kind of talking about a process where we actually, the, the federal government starts defining, you know, how health care is administered and things like that. And I kind of, as a Republican, as a conservative, I have a little bit of a problem with that. I can see regulating, you know, you don't want wacko ideas, although I look at the food pyramid. Which is you know uh, back in what was that come the eighties and 90s? It's completely wrong. It, 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 yeah. it turns out it's completely wrong. But you know, yeah, we're told this is you know God, you are told that to, you should get what 70% of the but the federal government
0: shouldn't be involved in any I want to
4: kind of get you your sense of that because you know I, why why is the federal government involved in that? You know, they it should be like a top level maybe some simple rules like allowing commerce across state lines for insurance companies. And, you know, I, I think the uninsurables, um, the uh, people with cancer and things like that, you know, there needs to be some type of safety net for those people. But beyond that, let the private market, you know, sort it out and go after antitrust issues or where people are getting screwed. Maybe the federal government should do that. That's where
0: I see it as. And I, I don't, I'm, I'm not hearing that. I'm, I'm hearing well, that we Well, the well, well, first thing I got to understand, what you're talking about is what I'm saying. But if you start looking in the 1970s, pharma companies and big hospitals started getting involved in policy making. Go look at the history of that, starting around Carter's era. No, I understand yeah, that. Right, but what that, is, what that has resulted in is big pharma and big hospitals dictating policy. That The outcome of that is Romney Care slash Obamacare. That's what we have today.
4: So and, how do we stop that? Do we uh, want to stop that or do we just
0: continue making well, this bigger bottle? Do we, do we expand the Well, no, change? there's nothing to expand. The reason I gave the yoga example is that's occurred by everyday people figuring out what's right for them. Mm-hmm. There's no regulation of yoga. Regulation of nutritional supplements, there's none of that. People are figuring things out for themselves. And I'm saying those are good things, that's what should be incentive. Those behavior things is what we should incentivize. What we have right now is big insurance of bureaucracy, which has created a modern healthcare system. Now, I don't know if you're saying you're for that, because no, 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 I'm not saying that. I'm, I'm just saying, yeah. why is it, why, why do, we have a, why do we have senators
4: even talking about stuff like that? You oh, know? because right now, we, and, we have a health care... I, I understand what's going on now, but, but in the future, is that something that, that you feel... Well, I, I, I... federal well, government should be more involved? involved no, what I'm, saying, exactly. what I'm saying is the
0: federal government ha- has been in a collusion because of the lawyers and lobbyists mm-hmm. to create the modern, quote-unquote, health care system. Okay. That's the result of it. Because of the massive influence of big pharma and big hospitals, this is what we have. Over here, everyday citizens are taking health into their own matters, and that's a good trend. The example I gave with yoga, the example I gave with nutritional supplements is, people are saying, I'm gonna go figure this out on my own. Those are all good things. So what's the solution? What to I'm saying is the- we need more competition. The across state lines mm-hmm. uh, for insurance companies, should be, there should not be a restriction Within a state, only you can have X number of insurance companies. We need to have insurance models that allow much more entrepreneurialism. So it's not just a few insurance companies who are owning this.
4: So, so how, how big do you think this uh, legislation should be? We've talked about a replacement for Obamacare. Well, first of all, Obamacare Obama should be
0: repealed. <coughs> OK. Uh, Obamacare has nothing to do with health care. Mm-hmm. I keep coming back to that. It has to do with being, supporting big insurance. What Romney and Obama did was essentially create, made us all of us captive clients to the insurance companies. So what goes so in its place? Please. So you
2: understand that Romney Care was
3: put in place because the free care pool in the state of Massachusetts was bankrupting Massachusetts. So the concept was that if you put everybody in the pool, then the people that
2: were healthier and doing yoga would support the people that had more permanent or disability, uh, disabilities. Well, Well, the reason principle. is they never address the real issue, OK?
0: The real issue is high drug prices and the, and the cost of hospital care. Well,
3: those are, no, other issues, uh, no, but... no, those
0: are the real issues. The reason that we do all of this nonsense is because when you actually look at how much we're paying for all of this stuff, it's way too much. Right, and a large pe-
3: part of that is because of lawsuits. So are you going to... Well, no, that the, no,
0: the lawsuits, but that, let's, let's separate it into two different groups. A large part of this is the actual cost of medicine. Do you understand how long it takes to create a drug?
2: I have a master's in public health. I understand all well, of this. Very mean, well, yeah.
0: So, how long does it take to create a drug right now?
2: Uh, you know, I don't know how many years. but It takes a number of years, and the deal is that many of them fail. It takes, 15, so. it takes
0: 13 to 15 years. Yeah. And many Let, let's,
2: fail. So, we're paying for the drugs that aren't even on the
0: market. Not even. That's not even the reason. Let me tell you why the cost of medicine and healthcare is so high. It takes 13 to 15 years to develop a single drug, and if you, Dennis discovers a synthetic drug today. He goes, gets funding. He's got about 13 to 15 year timeline. Six, seven years to spend what's called preclinical trials, you know, in test tubes and killing lots of animals. Then if he gets FDA allowance, he's got another seven years of clinical trials. At the end of that, if he spent $5 billion, which is the upper number, $5 billion to create this drug. If that drug makes it through, guess how much time does he have to recoup on his investment? Patent life is 20 years. He's got five years. So if a drug can reach 100,000 people, divide his five million by 100,000, he's got to charge, what, half a million or 50,000, half a million dollars for that drug. It's a drug development cycle, okay? And the pharma companies own that process end to end. We need innovation in that. It's not regulation, it's gonna be through innovation. One of the companies I recently built, Cytosol, you can look it up. We built a way to model the human cell on the computer. It came out of my PhD work at MIT. In 11 months, we discovered a drug for pancreatic cancer and got announced by the FDA. Okay? So I know about this stuff. It's not all this other stuff is frankly not going at the reality that we don't let innovative processes get out there. So that's innovation. If you look at hospital care, the amount of hospital care because of the actuarial stuff that's happened, you know, a friend of ours is a very close anesthesiologist. She says, Shiva, when I have to give pain meds, I see a patient with spinal surgery, I don't need to give him three shots of pain but the protocol says I have to. That's being dictated by someone else in an actuarial group. So these issues are what's actually increasing the cost of healthcare. So we can in fact have quote unquote universal healthcare. These are not the real issues. We're not going at the root cause of the problem, which is a high cost of drug prices and the high cost of hospital care. And these guys keep these prices inflated because they make tons of money doing this. And that collusion takes place between the lawyers and lobbyists in Washington and the health insurance companies. That's what's actually going on.
3: And the hospitals.
0: And the hospitals. This is a root cause. In engineering, you never, you know, as an engineer, you you know, everyone flies in an airplane, right? It's a pretty amazing thing. But, you know, you, you have to address the actual root cause. So we're all sort of dancing around the issues. The real root cause is, that the drug development process is is an old model. It's about 100 years old. And it's innovation that's going to solve this, not regulation. Okay. So you said earlier that you're against single-payer health care, but the argument that the left is starting to play, and has for a while, is that everybody has a right to health care, and therefore the government must provide it. I don't believe that's true, though. I think people have the right to liberty okay. and freedom. Those things. I don't think people have a right to health care. That's not a right. Okay, so how do you make the case to a state full of liberals that, that <laughs> <Yeah>. health care <laughs> Well, is right. well the, look, we talked to a lot of liberals. You know, I was on the phone with a donor who loves Elizabeth Warren. I heard heard what I had to say. They donated us a thousand bucks. So let's really understand. Now I'm telling you, let's understand who liberals are. If you if you take the western part of the state, a lot of people are into organic food, yoga, for poverty, you know what? The earthy crunchy granola people, right? You know what I'm talking about, right? Yeah, yeah. Well, those people, the arguments that I make, they say, what? Elizabeth Warren voted for the Monsanto Protection Act? Because they know what health care is. Because we know that glyphosate causes fatty liver disease. So you. What I'm saying is we need to expand what we mean by health care. There's a lot of smart people in this state. They're not just, you know, looking at single payer this. They're looking at health care. The 2.3 million unenrolled people, 1 million people are independents, right? There's a set of Democrats who, frankly, don't like Elizabeth Warren. At least 40% of them we know from the recent polls. Those people are going to be attracted to my candidacy because you can't bucket me. Left or right, or liberal or conservative, I'm going to talk about it in a very rational way. So when you when you take health care to those people, when you say, "Hey, you know what?" Elizabeth Warren voted for the Monsanto Protection Act. What do you think about that? They go, "What do you mean?" Oh, you know what? She was against GMO labeling. Really? Those are issues conservatives, quote unquote conservatives, Republicans don't even know how to talk about. At the same time, I'm also against the Paris Accords, and I've been able to conv- convince those people why the Paris Accords had nothing to do with stopping pollution. So that's what I'm able to articulate. That's why whole sets of liberals and independents are going to support my candidacy, because they're not going to support a typical Republican candidate.
3: Does anybody else have any non-healthcare health care? So um, you made some statements right at the beginning. Uh, One was that, well, one of your questions is: Is the Republican up, Republican Party up to <coughs> somebody like you as a voter? Voting um, uh, this Republican Party is up to change um, in this town. Um, we um, are one of the few that have a rep that's Republican. Although these days it doesn't matter if it's Republican only, but. Um, The year before you were in Boston on the Common, in the bandstand, I was there reading scripture for 91 hours, from beginning to end. So my battle is a little bit different than yours, but it doesn't mean that some of us aren't brave. That's the first thing. And the second thing is you mentioned something about Black Lives Matter and how Jeff Deal um just labeled black lives matter but i don't agree with that unless you want to expand on what you were saying about your competitor jeff deal
0: what, what, what are you talking about you
3: said you, well they, they're trying to pass a
0: resolution saying black lives matter is a hate group also it is well here's the thing right and antifa so it's, so is an it's antifa antifa is a hate group yeah okay? it is um i think that, the, that's we, just my opinion. well what i'm saying is who is this benefiting labeling all these things it's, it's benefiting who? Jeff Beal? So he can act as though he's fighting? No, it actually, for...
3: it actually benefits, it benefits the individual citizen of America because if there's an organization that's known for violence, we have to identify the organization so that the police are not supporting that organization. Like in California, they let the Antifa go through and beat up the people who are speaking free speech. So it's very important that we label appropriately a violent group. And the Charlottesville issue, um, those people, I don't agree with the white supremacist, but they have a right to free speech. Those people from Antifa and Black Lives Matter came with bat-clubs weapons. In Boston, they were smart. They searched everybody for weapons. Unfortunately, they kept them so far away from you, you couldn't even hear you speak, because there was a... but, but there was no violence. So yeah,
0: what I'm trying to say is, you know, 20 years ago, you used to be able, without a permit, going to Harvard Square, mm-hmm. put up your soapbox, and you used to be able to speak. Mm-hmm. Okay? Mm-hmm. So we have a set of people now dictating to other people that by labeling <coughs> people that they know better. You see, this is a very... Shiva, fi- let me, let me, let me, sh- if you No, no, but let me finish. Let me, let me finish. I no, I want to make you. this one point. Let me just finish my point. Once you start people labeling things, look, I, I'm attacking the academic elites, and I'm a person of color. who has a lot to quote-unquote lose in this. You, you're saying these people with these hats, with these two holes in them, and these people have a swastika, by the way, which is an Indian symbol, are white supremacists. Okay, so
3: I did not say
0: that. Well no no no, I'm saying that's yeah, what I, certain people want to do. Jeff
3: Dale did not did, Well, did well, not well say I don't that.
0: know what Jeff Dale wants he to do because he's, he's an opportunist, okay? I disagree. Well, that's your disagreement. Right. But my point is, the reality is that you to label people denies people the ability for them to make their own minds up. Okay? Because this is assuming someone's doing Haidt Hitler over here, or someone's doing a swastika over here, that I, as a citizen, don't have the intelligence to figure that out. In the old days, someone put out a soapbox, and if they did that, you just walk by them. You didn't throw acid on them, you didn't throw urine at them, you just walk by. And so if we're starting to create a society now, where we start labeling people, which could be, by the way, good to people of, people of color, so you don't have, but you're creating a certain society, which is based on going down to the lowest common denominator. Which she- is not trusting people's ability to make their own decisions.
3: I have, I just have a comment back. Webber, yeah. a comment. That I need to move on. Yeah, and that's we okay. Need to move on and yep. So, um, Shiva, if you had been in Boston because you took your permit out in July and the Charlottesville incident happened after that, so um, if we, I didn't take out the permit, but well, I was yeah, the was person speaker. did. Yeah. Yeah. So, if you had been, if the Charlottesville incident had not happened, what happened in Boston with the blockage and the weapons? Uh, that would that would have been completely different everybody would have been up close to the bandstand that would be a non-issue and sometimes a terrorist group Shiva, does need to be labeled
0: well i don't know what you're saying because it seems like i don't know what you're saying because the press was not allowed in there okay that's right 40 of us were in there that's
3: right no no wait wait wait
0: wait. you are basically defending the state's right to over for under certain conditions That's what you're heading towards. No. That's a form of fascism. No,
3: you are... Because the press was not allowed. You are I, For the record, I did not say that. Okay, carry on. I'm not sure what you're saying uh, then. I'm saying that there was no violence in Boston like there was in Charlottesville, and I'm saying if you had had your event prior to the Charlottesville event, what happened about free speech in Boston would not have been the same. The, the hundreds of people that Maybe, thinking, but the
0: point is that's where you test the Constitution okay under those circumstances <coughs> mm-hmm. and what you're saying is well we should forgive them under this condition forgive and who, that's what I
3: forgive who the Boston that, police
0: no not Boston police did forgive their job who, Marty who? Walsh and the administration oh, I don't forgive
3: them. they incited the violence
0: right he right. marched with them
3: yeah so, uh, yeah but anyway yeah.
0: okay
4: so I just done uh, a different topic I'm just gonna fire a few at you um, immigration what, you know, what's your position on that specifically illegal immigration, um, abortion? What's your, what are your views on that, um, and uh, the Second Amendment? Uh, what are your views on? The second yeah,
0: so on? let's take let's take each one. So I want to also add a fourth one to that, which is the right to communication. Okay, which is part of the Second Amendment. So first one, look, I came here as a legal immigrant. My parents came here first. My dad came here first. We had to wait a year, and then we came. Uh, I have some very particular issues. Like, I don't think we actually need the H-1B. I think many of the immigration policies that were put in place in America were basically so the politicians never had to address the infrastructure issues in this country. So, for example, right, uh, the number of illegal immigrants that we have here obviates particularly the Democrats, for example, having to address the fact that we don't have enough trained, skilled people, indigenous people here. So you bring in people, right? And you you can outsource work to them, and those people are always kept in limbo. If you look at the history of Mexican-Americans in this country going back to the 1800s, there's always been, frankly, a racist policy towards those people, never giving them full citizenship or not giving them citizenship. It's always been kept in this limbo, and the people who Profited from, this is a very big corporations. when you really look at it, because they got cheap labor out of them. So I think what Trump's trying to do, he's trying to say, look, let's go back to ninth grade civics. <laughs> the executive branch is for enforcement, the legislative branch is for interpretation of the laws, and Congress should pass laws. And Obama tried to, you know, we do his thing so he can get popularity in votes. So what I think, what he did with DACA is right is on target with how you should, you know, if you believe in the U.S. form of government. Otherwise, you don't have a government. I, you know, either you have le- legal immigration or you don't. So you're saying, we, so should we attempt to stem the illegal immigration? Because that, I think, that seems uh, to be... Well, a- well, well, the the issue is we have, have to follow the laws. laws. Mm-hmm. How, how did we get into this situation where you have sanctuary cities and it, either you have laws or you don't? Okay. I mean, my dad came here, then we had to wait. So that's so, one. So you reason. are on the side of law. I'm just trying Definitely. To okay. Because otherwise, you don't have a country. If you believe in the concept of a nation state, mm-hmm. you have to follow through on that. You can't have your own irrational positions as you need because you feel it emotionally makes you feel better and it absolves your guilt of something when you don't want to really address the real issues. The second issue with immigration is, you know, what in, in when my parents came here, they had to submit their resumes, they had to submit their grade reports it was merit based. Because after Sputnik had gone up, you know, we were in the space race. Kennedy, wanted more, uh, people of you know, people you of know, educational background, that's when my parents came. Now, it's an interesting phenomenon. I'm going to argue for something which may seem counterintuitive. In many ways, I would, I would argue what was done there was a policy of expediency, and it never addressed building up the educational infrastructure of this country. So what happened was India got brain drain of 2 million some of the best people. India ended up having a dynastic government a very corrupt government because you remove the best minds so i could argue that it would have been good that my parents did not come if this makes any sense because had they not come maybe they would have stayed there and fixed their own government what we do is we don't fix the infrastructure of this country and we put band-aid solutions on it right that's what really goes on and later we can say it was good but it really isn't good when you look at even if you want to look at it from a global perspective, one could argue had smart people like my parents stayed in India, maybe they would have participated in the electoral process. A guy like Modi would have come in even you know, 30, 40 years ago. So I have a very different view of this. You know, I, I can almost look at it in a very objective way. Um, so, so that's on that sec- second amendment, it's the foundations of the constitution you know, but you know, if you believe the pen is mightier than the sword, if the Second Amendment is a sword, there's something more important, which we've all forgotten has actually gotten decimated. It's the right to free communication. Um, I don't know if you know, the Postal Service, when it was created, in my view, it's as important as the Second Amendment. When it got created by Franklin and others, the goal was that I could send you a piece of communication at the lowest cost, or anyone could, without any government intervention. In fact, if someone intervened with the Postal Communications 20 years by sent- uh, sentence in prison, you know that, right? Yeah. The Office of Inspector General got set up for that. When email came, 78 to 92, you know, primarily email was used in the inner office environment. If you remember, remember we had like Lotus Notes and, and you didn't need the internet, per se. You don't need the app symbol, etc. Uh, after 92, 93, when the web came, email became a consumer application. 1997 email volume over postal mail volume. I met with the postal service then because I was running a different company for email. And I said, you guys should create a public service for email. Why? Because what happened was as Hotmail, Yahoo, Gmail, all these companies came, most of us got free email accounts. I'm sure everyone here has a free email account. Most people don't read their privacy statements. Um, They own your email. I don't know if you know that. Is there another? Yeah. We know it. Yeah. Either you have your own server. That's why Hillary got her own server. Yes. Sure. Okay? <laughs> so, so we're heading into the haves and have-nots. Because the have-nots are people who don't have their own server, and the haves aren't. So what we have now is, following 1997, all of our emails being watched. And, you know, we don't own communication. Up until 1970, 60% of the mail communication was political communication. Right, So the f- founders of this country knew that communication was as important as the Second Amendment. And what we have now, we've decimated that. And so I have solutions for that. You know, there's some incredible solutions called uh, mesh networks, telcos essentially own your email too. So we've got to forget it In concomitant with the Second Amendment is what's happened to our communications. And there's technology innovations which can resolve that. And then... So, yeah.
4: So good point on the... I, I can talk uh, more uh, about that. What, the, but, the, but, but so the Second, Second Amendment. Amendment. Uh, but just back to um, the second amendment um ownership of guns do you yeah look, most of gun owners, constitutional carry for the whole country yeah, yeah look my view is most gun owners
0: are hunters who are very responsible you know and it, you know to, most of the places where they put in these hard gun laws there's no correlation between that and the production in violence right? Like chicago or illinois for example so i'm a big supporter of the second amendment okay F- fully all right. Um, and then the last one was a uh, where you stand up. So here's my I I have a PhD in biology, mm-hmm. oh, and right. I'm just going to say there's one statement on it, but it's pretty clear that life begins at conception. It's a biological fact. Period. All right. And so, you know, I don't know what more you want me to say on it. It's-, it's Well, it be, do you support- so, do you well, so support here's my to view. To that well, here's my view on this, okay? that. Uh, a a, a woman, when people are making this decision, they've always made it one decision. I'm saying there's two lives involved here, whether people like to accept it or not, on the left or the right. Mm -hmm. There's two lives, because it's the epithelial forms around this, you know, embryo. It is another life form. And it's living independent, except for that umbilical cord. Right? It is still its own life form, because of the nature of biology.
3: Amen. Period. Right? So my view is that this is a... Decision that should not be taken lightly. Oh, it's it's,
0: it's, it's, just—it's—it's not a life form. It is a life form, and I think it's a decision um, that I can't make for anyone. But in my view, you know, it is—it is a separate standing life form. Okay. So there's a petition that's just starting to uh, amend the constitution
4: to say that the constitution does not require public funding for abortion.
0: So if that got to the legislature or the... Legislature, I don't believe that we should be... I don't think this should be publicly funded. Okay. Yeah. Good. Mark? Paul took my thunder on one of the yeah. um. issues. So,
1: so uh, uh, I, do, I do have a question. I, I, I've been reading a little bit lately about... Uh, some of these, some of these high tech companies like Google and, and Facebook now have literally grown so large and so massive, and they that have up controlling yeah. such, such vast quantities of information and content out there. Um, but they, they, they really established monopolies on, on this, and, and now people out in uh, Silicon Valley, out in California, are now making judgment calls on content. People that are posting certain types of messages, certain types, of speech, they're basically making. You know, you know, deleting. I I read somewhere recently that that, that, uh, Google's deleting over a million items a day on uh, of content. You know, just on on their own judgment call. They they, they're now controlling. You know, what what the masses see in terms of the content. And I started to see a little bit about. uh, um, Some are arguing that these companies have really gotten too big, and antitrust laws should be should be used to try
0: to break new companies up? Any thoughts on that? Yeah, I do. So look, this comes back to why we we can't have career politicians in there. You need to have people actually understand the modern world. We're we're, we're in the 21st century going to the 22nd century. When you look at the new technology like 3D printing, there's huge IP issues that are going to come up there. But if you've never done that, you're just going to rely on consultants. If If people didn't understand content and distribution, um, for example, I'll give you... A, remember when I talked about the invention of email? Mm-hmm. In 1976, there was no laws to protect... In 1976, no laws to protect software. I don't know if you know this. People thought uh, the only law that existed was the Copyright Act of 1976, which let you use, um, you know, for a novel, you know, you, you wrote a piece of music. In 1980, the politicians in Congress amended the Copyright Act of 1976 because they thought software was sheet music, okay? So they said, oh, we're going to allow copyright to protect software. Now, there's a problem with that because copyright only protects a literal work. So when I copyrighted an email, it protected that literal work, but that was the only vehicle I had to protect software inventions. It didn't protect all my ideas, that's why I don't make a penny off of it, okay, unless someone exactly copied my code. In 1994, the Federal Court of the Appeals, 15 years later, said, Oh, software is a digital machine. 15 years later. And I couldn't patent it then because there's prior art. The point is, when you have politicians who never fixed anything, they don't know what an aircraft, you know, all these technologies, which was what the founders knew, they created laws, you know, uh, Hamilton knew the financial system. The guy created it. So he knew how to create laws. So we have politicians who are removed from the actual production. So when you bring up something like Facebook and Google, because they don't know what a network is, because they don't understand content management systems, they have no idea of how pervasive these things are. Those of us you know, at the Media Lab, where I got one of my masters from, knew, knew about this coming. So what needs to happen is some of these things perhaps should become public utilities. Let me also tell you that when the internet got created by the so-called military, which didn't create it, Western Union and Honeywell actually created the first protocols. What happened was the military-industrial complex created one standard for the Internet. We should have multiple Internets. We only have one Internet protocol. There are technologies like mesh networks which allow you or you to put up a router on your house for 25 bucks. We could technically create a public Internet, publicly owned not by the telcos. So we have to really start having people like me in the Senate who completely educate people on what's going on because Facebook and Google literally, to your point, are manipulating content and can manipulate narratives. Overnight they can character assassinate somebody. Overnight they can change the index of someone, brand someone for being this or that. It's very, very dangerous. And antitrust laws should be looked at, but it may be too late. But it could be that certain types of companies, at a certain point, you know, patent life is for 20 years, certain types of companies become public utilities after a certain lifetime but again this requires people actually understand technology but as long as your lawyers and lobbyists and people can profit from um, cybersecurity, these issues are never going to come to the forefront that's why someone like me can articulate this at minimum make people aware of it
3: <clears throat>
0: but it's a very dangerous situation right now with google and facebook
3: thank you so much for Here, coming. you really